Hey there, welcome to another edition of Retire Smarter. I'm Walter Storholt, back with Kevin Krosky today, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you all throughout the country, but uh, based in Northeast Ohio and presence in Southwest Florida and the greater Pittsburgh area as well. We're online at truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, it is great to be with you today, my friend. What's going on in your world? Well, I'm actually a little sad this morning. Oh, no. I sold my tractor over the weekend, Walt. Your tractor? Oh, no. I feel like this we're starting into the beginnings of a country song here, but let me explain. Sold my um, tractor. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we have we have two children and kids have bikes and scooters and a whole bunch of stuff. And I know I'm going to have like the world's smallest violin playing here for me, but our garage has gotten a lot smaller. So, oh, no. So Poor my, I was, heaven. <laughs> I, was do, I was doing a lot of yard work. Not a lot. I was doing a little yard work, which I enjoy doing this. And when I bought the tractor 10 years ago, I enjoyed mowing the lawn and, and those sorts of things or something, uh, some sort of solitude that I would experience, called it kind of tractor time and out there. And as life got busier and business grew, I mean, I haven't mown the lawn for years. And so it really just became a sort of a fun wagon, if you will, um, where I kind of put the dump cart on, haul the kids around, have the dogs chase us. And I like fun wagon. I like that. It was more of that. And um, and ultimately, we graduated uh, at the trailer park that we go to to having a golf cart. So that's kind of supplanted the fun tractor. And um, so long story short, uh, <laughs> needed some work. I got a ridiculous quote. I said, I'm not putting the money into it. I'm going to see if we can sell it. We found a nice family uh, and a gentleman came up with his grandson and the grandson was like over the moon to kind of help grandfather ride the tractor and mow the lawn and do some work. And we sold it to them and we're very happy that we did. But uh, there was a little piece of me that was a little sad. So th- I guess that's the big news. And the, if there is such a thing as big news for selling your tractor in the Krosky world. We uh, we sold our tractor as well, Kevin. Um, we are moving to Colorado. Uh, so a little bit of news from uh, from our ends of, of things and had to do the same thing, Kevin, sold the tractor. It, it was not going to, uh, well, first of all, our new place in Colorado is not going to have a need for a tractor. And so <laughs> I had to get well, rid of you it. Live in the, well, at least currently you live in the South. I, yes. I, I heard selling a tractor in the South is grounds for expulsion. So it must be true. Yeah. Yeah. It must be. I sold it. And now, boom, I'm kicked out to the, uh, to the West side of the country. So luckily sold it to a friend who now has a fleet of tractors, actually pretty impressive. He's got, uh, he said he's got one that's 25 years old. And then he had another one that his brother uh, gave to him that was maybe be 15 years old and now he's got my slightly newer one we lined them all up next to each other when i dropped it off to him and i was like man you're making you've just got a whole fleet can you can you sync these together and run them side by side you could be done with the lawn in like five minutes (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty impressive he must be a popular guy with all those tractors it's it's good stuff no no doubt about it he he's got the (laughs) land for it so it works out well uh well i'm sorry about your tractor but uh we'll try and pick up your spirits with a good episode today how about that well, it sounds good. Um, so we, uh, I don't know if you can call it a good episode. Unfortunately, we've had um, a, a story pretty prominent in the news here locally in Northeast Ohio and Akron specifically about a Ponzi scheme. And um, I've had a few conversations, not specifically about this recently, but you know, you'll have clients that get maybe approached with an investment idea, you know, at the country club or you know, through church or just through their circle of friends and ask us to take a look at it. And it, for whatever reason, it seems like uh, I've had a few of these recently. So I, 
unfortunately, um, well, maybe we can at least make some lemonade out of these lemons with this apparent local Ponzi scheme and talk through some common types of fraud scams to be on the lookout for and just maybe, you know, how to make sure that we keep our money safe and, and invest it smartly. Well, yeah, fun episode may not be the best way to describe this one, but important because I feel like even if sometimes we feel very separated from the world of fraud and scam, kind of that feeling like it's never going to happen to us. I feel like we all probably have a story of it happening to someone that we know, at least. Um, I can remember specifically just a couple of years ago, my grandfather um, actually talking to me about, is this real? He'd gotten some suspicious emails, but it was all related to something that he was a vacation home that they were going to. But then the communication sort of got weird. And so we were able to kind of dissect and be like, yeah, something's been hijacked here and there's a scam definitely afoot. And so it was very nerve wracking to see them have to go through that and the danger that that, you know, kind of posed to them. And so this is probably something that can be near and dear to everybody's heart to try and avoid themselves or help a loved one avoid. Yeah, I mean, we work hard for our dollars. Um, You know, our clients are pretty humble, you know, (laughs) Midwestern values, if you will, you know, work hard, save, live below your means and invest over time. And certainly you don't want to lose it and uh, have a life-altering decision or an outcome from uh, being taken advantage of. Uh, so, well, everybody probably thinks, hey, this would never happen to me. It's just something that you read about in the news or what have you. Um, you know, we probably do know some people that it has happened to. Unfortunately, we've had, you know, some clients that to my knowledge anyway, you know, we're not involved with this, but um, we're involved with others in the past and, you know, had these, you know, investments, if you will, I use that term lightly here, um, when they came to us um, or maybe they came to us, I can think of one specifically after um, they learned that they were victim of this sort of fraud. So it's something to be mindful of for sure. And we'll just kind of dive in. But, you know, this, uh, this is going to be playing out in the courts and in the press and all that jazz over time. But there's uh, innocent to be proven guilty, I suppose. But um, unfortunately, uh, this is probably um, going to play out just how everybody's mind is thinking right now. So I'm just reading a headline here from uh, our local paper, the Akron Beacon Journal on July 9th, 2022. And the headline is, The State Accuses Former Copley Coach of Ponzi scheme that built investors out of millions. Uh, So this gentleman uh, was uh, the Copley High School basketball coach. Uh, So he was obviously affiliated with the school. Copley is uh, a town here or township, I guess, uh, in Northeast Ohio. And um, at least the amount that was referenced in the article was somewhere north of $50 million. Um, So, you know, quite a bit of money. Yeah. And uh, the gist here uh, is that it was related to real estate and uh, which is, as we'll discuss, is kind of one of the common themes uh, that's or one of the vehicles that's often used in these sorts of frauds. And and this is unfortunately nothing new. Uh, There's been several just in our area here locally uh, over the years that are quite similar in many instances to this. And one of the first things that people have to be mindful about If you go to any state securities websites, Ohio Division of Securities, Pennsylvania Department of Security, so on and so forth, you know, they'll all have information about this and investor protections. But this this gentleman uh, was at a high school. He was a basketball coach. So he was in the school district. He was in that community. 
And one of the largest types of fraud uh, or angles that these fraudsters will use is something called affinity fraud. And it, that may sound a little strange at first, but you know, in this case, this gentleman's a teacher. So a lot of his victims are teachers, you know, so people that he knew from the school, uh, people that he worked with, uh, people that, uh, you know, he coached for that matter and their parents, people within the community. Uh, so th so th this he, is the opposite of like the, uh, you're getting a, a call from calls from call centers in India where they don't know anything about the person they're scamming. This is, you're scamming people close to you is close to you. Problem. Absolutely. So, you know, he's just using his relationships. He's using that implicit trust that he has through the schools, through being, uh, a, a member of that community, through being involved in that community to leverage that trust that he has, whether earned or implicit or or whatever the case may be, to go ahead and, and lower uh, guards of the people that are coming in and he's soliciting money for. Um, you know, Bernie Madoff is, is one of the largest ones. I'm sure everybody, you know, remembers that one. Uh, he was uh, a prominent member in the Jewish community and built many members of the Jewish community. So, you know, whether it's any type of community affiliation, often it's religion, often it is, you know, some sort of, you know, group, in this case, like the teachers or what have you, but something where, you know, hey, he or she, and it's usually he, it's usually not a she, uh, he's one of us, you know, we can trust this person, he's just yeah. like us, so it lowers people's guard. Um, so that's, that's number one. Um, so while it may not feel great to kind of be on the... <laughs> Uh, bolo, be on the lookout for somebody within your community where you're hopefully being able to trust them. But uh, unfortunately, that's something that's commonly exploited and was the case here. Um, secondly, and also very common, is uh, a sale of an unregistered security. Uh, so, you know, we as certified financial planners are registered and licensed uh, and supervised uh, under the Securities and Exchange Commission or the SEC. So when I got into the business, you know, we had to take a simple licensing exam. Candidly, the bar sat way too low to have the license. The CFP was certainly a much um, higher credential, even though it's not you know, required to be in the business. But nonetheless, we are regulated and do have licenses um, like uh, a Series 6, Series 7, Series 65. These are all different types of security licenses that uh, financial professionals will commonly have. The CFP, Certified Financial Planner, is something uh, more than that. Uh, it's, a, it's a different type of license, but it's not required to be in the business. So unregistered securities are two things. One, they're generally sold by people that are not registered licensed financial professionals. Not always the case, um, but more commonly. But then also they're not a registered security. So they're not a mutual fund, for example, or they're not a public stock traded on the exchange, whether it's the NASDAQ or whatever the case may be. Uh, these are private investments um, and often they are unregistered. So they are not registered with the state securities departments uh, of Ohio, Pennsylvania, or whatever the case may be. Um, in this case, what uh, this gentleman was apparently doing was using promissory notes, basically a, a fancier legal term for an IOU, to go out and say, hey, let me borrow this money from you 
and I'm going to use it to fund these real estate deals because um, I can go out and I can, you know, flip this house. I can, uh, in this case, I believe he was more so doing something called wholesaling where he was identifying the seller of the house, you know, buying at a below market price and then selling it to somebody else that is doing uh, the work on it to flip it. Uh, apparently he was also doing some of the work, but that was the gist. So he needed some capital, needed some money to go ahead and fund um, that buying and bridge the gap until it was sold. So it, rather than um, taking out a mortgage or something on these properties, he was giving an IOU or promissory note to these investors, basically guaranteeing a return. So a couple things here. So these unregistered securities that I mentioned, promissory notes are probably one of the most commonly abused ones. Um, there certainly can be registered securities that are promissory notes, but it's very easy uh, for these unscrupulous people to use promissory notes to go ahead and 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 just commit fraud. Um, also, these are often tied to like real estate deals, oil and gas, probably less so today, more so in past decades, but but nonetheless, those are all kind of key areas that are commonly abused. Uh, so in this case, this gentleman, again, was guaranteeing a return. Um, and some of the articles that the Akron Beacon Journal and others have put out there, you know, maybe it was low double digits. Um, <laughs> and in some cases, I, I'm going from memory here, but I think one was, hey, give me this money and I'll pay you back more than 30% in just a few months, which if you annualize that, they'll be with north of 100% per year. Red flags. So unregistered securities, promissory notes, things that are tied to real estate. Again, we're all familiar with real estate, right? Well, it's something that not only, hey, maybe I'm a teacher, maybe I'm part of this religious community, so you're kind of lowering the guard there. But hey, it's real estate. It's something that you're already familiar with. So another you know, exploit that people use to lower yeah. the guard because of the familiarity it's like a uh, series of gates that have all been lowered. So it's just, it seems like nothing but a clear path ahead. You got it. And, you know, another conversation that I had, um, and again, it wasn't about this Copley basketball coach that I'm mentioning, but had a conversation with a gentleman that had a lot of his money, you know, tied up with uh, a private hard money lender. So it's kind of this uh, very similar to what's here. Um, sometimes they'll say, you know, hey, your money's collateralized with this property or what have you, but oftentimes, even if they're saying that it's collateralized, so if uh, the deal in fact did go bad and you weren't repaid, you could in theory foreclose on the property and, and, and get your money back or subject to any fees that you have to pay or what price you could get, or at least, you know, have some collateral underlying the, the, the promissory note. But a lot of times those, those in certain cases, those weren't even filed. Um, so the mortgages weren't filed. The first trustees, depending on what state you're in, weren't filed and the end investors didn't check. So even people maybe thought that they were secured, you know, not just, you know, like, hey, this money is going from a promissory note to fund these deals and it's tied to real estate. But no, what I'm saying is like some of them are supposedly actually secured to the property filed at the local courthouse and, and recorded as a lien against that property. Uh, but if you're not verifying that those are in fact filed, um, you know, then you could get taken advantage of there as well. So the other conversation I had about this private money is like, oh, you know, I'm getting 10, 12% on my money. It's secured by real estate. And I just asked him, I said, you know, did you ever check and make sure that those mortgages were filed? And you just heard silence, which to me, that silence answered the question was a big, loud no. 
So all these things, you know, there's all kinds of different, I guess, flavors or varieties or wrinkles, I'm sure that these people take. And, and I don't know if they really set out to do this intentionally from day one. They may start out trying to have a legitimate business that, you know, at some point it crosses the line and then, and then it does go, you know, often quite quickly into the fraud area and they're trying to go ahead and bail themselves out. And then it's just that sort of snowball that's rolling down the hill, getting larger and picking up speed. And then the Ponzi scheme ultimately collapses. The rumor is what has uh, caused this Copley basketball coaches Ponzi scheme uh, to collapse is that these high interest rates that he was paying supposedly uh, on the promissory notes, while well, he was issuing 1099s for this. So if these were not held in a retirement account, you know, people are getting 1099s in January filing their tax returns. And on paper, well, if you're getting a, you know, a 30 percent return in a few months of more than 100 percent annualized and you keep kind of rolling it over and getting it over and over, you know, if you invest even a little bit of money over time, at least on paper, <laughs> compound interest is going to make that quite large. And so this gentleman was apparently issuing 1099s for these paper gains that really weren't valid. And then the people were filing the end investors that ultimately uh, apparently got ripped off were filing tax returns, uh, ended up owing a lot more than they expected. So they said, hey, we need some money out of these investments because they've been doing so good. <laughs> Oops. These 1099s that you're giving us has caused us to pay taxes. Like I got surprised here. I'm not, I'm not so nobody likes a surprise when it comes to tax time, by the way. Um, but hey, I got all this money you're showing on this, this statement that you're producing from your office. And, uh, why don't you just go ahead and send me some of that? And, uh, it, so that's the story that I've heard out there. And I've talked to some attorneys that have been contacted by claimants in some of these suits. And, and that seems to be a common theme anyway. We'll see how all this unfolds. But um, but these people have been paying taxes on this and they, they haven't received their money. And generally- Oh, man. So not only are they losing their money, they're paying taxes on gains that don't even exist there. They're it's, paying taxes like on gains hit. that don't even exist, may have been uh, doing this for uh, at least a few years. In, in many cases, apparently this has been going on since 2016. I don't know when it crossed over into oh, the fraud man. zone or if it was always that way again. Time will tell. But, you know, what a nightmare. And um, unfortunately, when you do this, you know, this loss, under the tax code uh, is something called a casualty loss. And um, they're going to have a tough time really recouping any, I don't say any significant benefit. It depends on the dollar amount, but it, it's going to be a pain in the butt at best. You know, nobody wants to deal with this, but I, I think candidly, when I think of this, I think of these, a lot of these teachers in the lunchrooms that probably were approached, mm. you know, by this guy and uh, teachers, uh, you know, we have several as, as clients and we have several that probably knew this gentleman that, that worked at Copley and retired from there. Um, it used to be kind of a, and still is to a certain degree, a get rich slow plan. You know, it's a pretty good pension. You know, you may not make a ton of money early on, but you know, it keeps increasing uh, over time. Your, your wage does. And, um, and then, you know, the four or three Bs, these people, the extra money that they had apparently were probably a lot of them put it into here. And, you know, while they're still going to have their pension, uh, as long as they didn't roll that out and take some cash and invest, you know, a lot of the excess money that they did have outside of their pension and four or three Bs and what have you is, is they're probably going to get pennies on the dollars back. It's usually how these things play out. 
So it's an incredibly sad situation. Um, but all of these things uh, that I just touched on briefly, like these are the big ones, you know, the affinity fraud, lowering the guard, you know, being part of the group, earning that trust either directly or implicitly through being part of the group, unregistered securities, you know, usually in the form of promissory notes, often tied to like real estate or oil and gas, um, hard money loans, also kind of uh, you know, under that real estate umbrella there. These are all things that you see very commonly as as the top items in any state securities department each and every year. Some of the newer things that are out there that um, that I haven't had any direct experience, but I see some ads on Facebook that look pretty damn questionable. But uh, different social media scams that are out there, cryptocurrencies, you know, any sort of promise of high returns, guaranteed returns, things like that. You know, the old adage, Walt, I mean, if it sounds too good to be true. It probably is. Yeah, there's only, as my grandma used to say, maybe another way, there's only 100 pennies in the dollar. So, mm. you know, it's just, it's the same thing. I mean, people can get taken advantage of. Um, I don't want to say it's a kind of a fear and greed, but, you know, there's usually no free lunch that's out there or diversification is kind of the only free lunch that we like to talk about around here. Uh, but these are some of the things to, to look at for sure. So one other thing I think is important to be mindful of. So I, I mentioned these unregistered securities. And, you know, when I look at uh, clients that, that we work with, and uh, where we hold their money, and I wouldn't say we hold their money, a custodian holds their money. So what is a custodian? Um, think Schwab, think TD Ameritrade, think Fidelity, think Pershing. These are all custodial banks that uh, are the safekeepers of your dollars. Um, essentially, they provide more of an accounting function facilitate the buy and sell of securities. So every month that you, you know, get your statement, it doesn't really tell you a whole lot about your investments per se, but it's more, and in this example, used to work really well, maybe 20 years ago, I might have to find a new one, uh, but it's more like your checkbook register. If anybody out there still balances their checkbook register, but it kind of tells you what went in the account, what went out of the account and how much do you have? Uh, so it's that sort of accounting aspect uh, of your funds. And again, it facilitates the buy and sell of stocks, of bonds, of mutual funds. Those are all publicly traded securities. Um, so that's important to know. Bernie Madoff didn't have a custodian. Certainly this uh, local basketball coach didn't have a custodian. What did they have? Uh, they had a bank account in their business name. And uh, so <laughs> almost never do clients write a check directly to our firm. We may charge a planning fee or project fee or, you know, charge for, you know, tax services, things like that. But their investment dollars never, ever, ever, ever go to us, go to True Wealth Design. They're paid, you know, to the custodian. Incredibly important. Incredibly important. Um, so all, you know, and if you're writing money out to somebody and it's going to them or to a business account that they own, you know, again, major, major, I don't want to say red flag, uh, it's definitely a yellow flag. There could be legitimate purposes, but if you're talking about your investment dollars outside of a custodian to an individual or business bank account, that is definitely a red flag. Very important to know. And then one other thing I should mention is we've talked a lot about, like at least briefly, the public investments there. Again, mutual funds, publicly traded stocks, um, purchasing bonds, could even be like closed end uh, mutual funds, um, different things along those lines versus private investments. Um, so you can have private investments that can be, you know, decent investments, 
they are generally going to be registered securities, not the unregistered promissory notes and fraudulent securities that I touched on earlier in the call. But any of these private investments, um, you have to be very careful. The due diligence has to be significantly higher. Probably about, I'd say five, six years ago, we started using private investments for certain clients. And we've been in business now oh, a little bit more than, I guess it's our 15th year in business, um, looking at the calendar. But we just started using private investments about five years ago. For one, one of the reasons why we didn't do it before is I didn't feel confident that we had the due diligence capabilities to go ahead and properly utilize those. And at the same time, I think uh, they've, they've probably improved over the years where they are, there are more institutional quality private investments that are out there that are accessible you know, to non-institutions. Um, but, but nonetheless, one of the reasons why I didn't feel comfortable using them was just for that simple reason. I didn't want to put money to somebody that you know, I thought was, you know, that was good, that was trustworthy, um, put our client money with them and then have it end up. And, you know, they're, they're working with a bankruptcy trustee and trying to, you know, claw back a few dollars and probably going to get pennies. It was just, it just wasn't worth the risk. Um, so these, Private investments, you're seeing like different variations of them today. Um, again, we're using them a little bit more broadly. We do them um, with the help of outside consultants that have very deep research benches for these sorts of things. We often and almost exclusively still purchase them through these custodians, through Fidelity, through Pershing, through Schwab, through TD Ameritrade, whom we all work with. And they've already passed their due diligence looking uh, for those large custodians because those custodians have liability for anything that they put on their platform. So for us and for our clients where we're advising that maybe they purchase a private investment, it's still going through the custodian. It's still passed their due diligence checks. We're getting a recommendation generally from an outside consultant uh, that has worked with them for years. Um, there's just a lot of checks and balances that are going into this. Uh, there's a major law firm that's constructing the legal documents. Certainly the securities are registered. There's typically a big four CPA firm that is providing an annual audit and accounting, other financial records. Lots and lots of checks and balances. If you're investing with, you know, Joe Real Estate in your community who has a house or a property, um, very, very different level of due diligence and just compliance and process and procedures involved in something like that. So just be careful. I'm not saying that anybody that's out there, you know, in your local market that's doing a real estate deal, maybe doing a property specific deal for say like a assisted living facility, multifamily apartment or something along those lines is fraudulent. But nonetheless, there is a significant amount of higher risk that something could go awry in those deals for a multitude of reasons. And in the vein that we're talking about today, just from a compliance, a safety of your money going outside of the custodian, going into somebody's individual business banking account, significantly more risk there. So I'd say generally anybody that's listening to this is just don't do it. You don't need to. There's plenty of good public investments that are out there through mutual funds, through ETS, through stocks, individual bonds and cash and what have you. Why take the risk? Um, is, is the gist. And if you are going to go into this more sophisticated private investment category, again, I mean, this is something that I've been trained to do and I've been doing for many, many years. 
I personally didn't feel comfortable doing it until I was well into my career and probably had, you know, in my 10 years of experience at that point in time of owning the business, given how much I work, I probably had 15 years of experience. And I didn't feel comfortable until that point in time to start going down that path. And I did it with a big dose of, of help from outside consultants to do it. So um, take that for what it's worth. But you know, generally speaking, you don't need to go and use these private investments and you probably have way more risk than you do potential return. Great breakdown, Kevin. And uh, I, I guess my only question, and I think I know the answer to it, but um, you know, we had uh, a storm here in Myrtle Beach the other night, and <laughs> you know, unfortunately, an umbrella got lifted off of somebody's house in the neighboring yard and landed in the parking lot where my wife's car was parked, and landed right on top of the hood and uh, left a nice big dent right in the middle of the hood. Fantastic. I mean, empty spots on either side, a foot to the left, two feet to the right. Would have totally missed it. Been no big deal. Instead, boom, big dent. But you know what? No stress, no worry, because ah, there's insurance, little deductible, boom, fixed, no big deal. Um, we'll take care of that. But no insurance for something like this, right? That You can't go and buy, uh, hey, I made a really bad investment and got duped and tricked and lost $3 million kinds of insurance, right? Does that, does that exist in any way, shape, or form? For something like this, I no, not that I'm aware of. Um, but that does bring up a good point um, for the any of the custodians uh, that I mentioned, um, there's all kinds of uh, insurance and excess insurance that's out there. CDs and other things may have FDIC insurance. Mm -hmm. Certain insurance products may have state guarantees. All of the, there's something called the SIPC or SIPIC um, that has insurance. Uh, if you know one of these custodians or registered members fails. Then I know Pershing specifically has a significant amount of excess insurance that they purchased from Lloyd's of London. Um, so, you know, these you want whoever the safekeeper is of your assets candidly to be a, a big, too big to fail bank. Um, Pershing and is a subsidiary of Bank of New York Mellon, and they're they're one of the largest or globally systemically important financial institution. Um, all this stuff we kind of learned about post two thousand and eight when you had a lot of the big financial institutions like Lehman and uh, failing and others at the risk of failing. But you want whoever's holding your money to be too big to fail, to be very safe. Um, so these are things that that are very important. And all of those institutions, while they're not going to guarantee that you don't lose money in an investment like a mutual fund or something, um, there are guarantees there belying it just to make sure that the financial system and your accounts there are going to be in good standing and, and not going to you know end up in a bankruptcy trustee and claiming pennies on a dollar. It's great to know that. I suppose you could get Lloyd's of London to maybe custom make you some sort of uh, really, really bizarre uh, <laughs> insurance to cover something like this, but may might be a little expensive to be prohibitive at that point. Yeah, if you're looking to uh, to save money, maybe you have to go to Bob's of Baghdad or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, well, great uh, coverage of this topic on today's episode, Kevin. And it really, you know, we're just covering a small piece of the fraud and scam world, but something that uh, happened in your local area and uh, of a lot of our listeners as well. And so, yeah, it can happen to anybody if you're not, you know, keeping your eyes peeled, and especially when it comes from close to home like that. Very unnerving. Uh, well, at any time, you can always reach out to an experienced advisor on the True Wealth team, set up a time to see if you'd be a good fit, and to talk about what a 
financial plan would look like, how you would prepare for retirement. And, you know, running these kinds of things by the team is a benefit of working with an experienced advisor. If you are into these kinds of investments or wanting to explore that, Kevin and his team obviously have a lot of experience of uh, seeing those red flags on the field, especially when they're littered out there, and they'll help you spot those things and help keep you out out of trouble when those pop up. So if you want to talk a little bit more about your plan, your financial future, easy way to do it is to schedule a time to visit by going to truewealthdesign.com. That's truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule that 15-minute call. Or you can give them a call directly at 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. And we'll put links in the description of today's show so it's easy for you to find that contact info. Kevin, appreciate the help and the guidance on the show today. Hope you have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt, and we will see everybody next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.